The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. because we are slamming it in your ear holes here today. It is me, the managing editor of Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, back with the latest episode of The Winkly, and I am joined here as I am just about every Thursday by my good friend, Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to The Winkly. Thirsty Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. I'm thirsty for coffee. I've got some coffee. I've got some water. Um, I'm going to go over to Mariano's and do some grocery shopping this afternoon. I'm probably going to have a beer while I grocery shop, which is weirdly probably my favorite thing that I do now as an adult. Wait, what do you mean you're going to have a beer while you grocery shop? Oh, my friend, there is a bar at my Mariano's grocery store. On the first floor, it is $3 drafts, $2 drafts uh, for specialty beers they're featuring uh, throughout the month. And uh, every time I go there now, it's like a ritual. I, they have a shopping cart. There's a cup holder attached to the shopping cart. I go pay my two or three dollars. I get some nice craft beer, and then I go. I go shopping in the in the grocery store. Well, how about that? Isn't that amazing? I I, I did. I I've never experienced such. Dude, you got to try it. Come to Chicago. Well, I, well, I'm going to come to Chicago to grocery shop. You should just for the experience alone. It's great. It's magical. If you've done this, you know what I'm talking about. If not. Seek it out. It is a wonderful thing happening in the world right now. Uh, well, anyway, wonderful thing, wonderful thing happening in the world right now. The Winkley. Big show today. A lot of news to get to here. Uh, the world of pro wrestling just never seems to stop anymore uh, with the current uh, vibrant scene we've got going at the moment. Uh, we got two big interviews for you here after the news block. Uh, first, you're going to hear from former Impact star KM, a.k.a. Kevin Matthews, the man who is now working for, running, helping to run, booking, uh, running Alaska, all kinds of things. KM is going to be here on the show today. Uh, also, right after KM, you're going to hear from former WWE superstar, former WCW hardcore champion, former ECW star, Big Vito LaGrasso is going to be here today, too. Uh, have you had the chance to talk to Big Vito before, Justin? I don't I don't think I have. What an interesting guy. There's a part of this interview, I'll tease it now, where you know we get into the where he wore a dress you know, in WWE for a while yeah. there. Did yeah, you, yeah. Did you know he wore that on? He like kayfabe this twenty four seven. He wore dresses on planes, on buses, everything, everywhere. Uh, I did not know that, but I do believe it. <laughs> okay, well, you're gonna hear all about it here today. 
Uh, so a lot to get to here, but let's start it off. News you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. Uh, this one coming from our good friends at Busted Open Radio. Uh, they had on Chris Jericho, who commented on what he thinks going to happen with NXT going to USA uh, and the possibility that Vince McMahon could take control of it. So he says if it's another show on the USA Network, not on FS1, not on the WWE Network, if it's an official, legitimate, nationwide cable show on the USA Network, do you think Vince McMahon is going to be involved in it? Of course he is. It's Vince McMahon. He's a genius, but here's the thing. I think the appeal of it is that it's its own little entity outside of the WWE, and when Vince McMahon gets a hold of it and gets involved with it, it's going to become something it's going to become another SmackDown and another Raw. I think you're going to see all three of those shows interacting with one another. I think it's going to be just another WWE show. So whatever the appeal is with NXT, whatever the specialness of it is, is going to be changed to another Raw and another SmackDown. I think if you like Raw and SmackDown, then you're going to like NXT on Wednesday nights. If you don't, then I don't think you're going to like NXT on Wednesday nights because there's no way that Vince McMahon is going to stay home and not be involved with it. That is what he does so great. I think it's another two hours of incredible WWE programming on Wednesday nights. If you love WWE, then there's more for you to love. And if you don't, then I don't think it's going to make a difference. Long quote there. Sorry to, to word garble so much, but I thought it was important to get that all out there because this is coming from Chris, and this is a, a, an amalgamation of a lot of thoughts I've heard from other people. Um, what is your impression here of what's going to happen to NXT when it moves to USA, Justin? Well, uh, Chris's comments are very politically correct in terms of, of not, um, you know, not burying or, or or speaking bluntly negative about you know a guy who's paid him for many years and who is a genius in many respects. But yeah, I mean, what Chris is saying is what everybody's talking about, which is, you know, what NXT's charm is that it is different from Raw and SmackDown, and it is different because you know Raw and SmackDown, obviously, the final say is to Vince, and NXT, um, you know, Vince isn't isn't really isn't involved at all you know so it, it, you know but he's right the logic would be if you're talking about the big time money that you know potentially that they're getting to, to to have nxt on usa and the fact that it's on usa and that's gonna potentially lead to vince wanting to have his hands on especially if he knows obviously it's going head to head against aew and you know he wants to you know he wants to it to do its best that's the fear is that it's 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 going to take away the charm. It doesn't mean NXT is necessarily going to be bad. It doesn't mean Wednesday night's programming is going to be bad, but just it's just the fear that it's going to be not what NXT has stood for up to this point. The part of me says, you know, okay, Vince is going to fewer and fewer Raw and SmackDowns in person. So is he going to make a trip to Florida now every week to also oversee NXT? There's some of me that has some potential hope that maybe he'll just let NXT, you know, it's not broke, let's don't fix it type of thing, um, and let it see how it does off the gate. But I'll tell you what, if, if he does, if that's how it starts, NXT fans, this is all on you. Yeah, yeah. You need to show up and watch because if if they come out the gates and they got they got what? They got two weeks unopposed. They got the first two weeks unopposed. After that, it's AEW head to head with them. So if they come out the gates and and with against the AEW and AEW is handedly beating them, you bet your ass Vince is going to get involved. And, and so, I mean, you know. I have the, I have I have this kind of I have a kind of rough theory of, of what is going to happen here. I think at first those first two weeks, since it's at Full Sail University, I think we're gonna get a more authentic NXT product. I think it's just you know, Vince is not he doesn't really go inside that bubble a whole lot from what I gather. But I don't think I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't get the impression that full full sale university will be the long term home of these NXT Wednesday night shows. I think right now they're probably getting their ducks in a row to take this brand on on the road to play different cities on each Wednesday nights. Would you think that that 
is a fair assessment uh, or may, no? Maybe, maybe. But I mean, in the press release that they did know that they are going to continue their media relationship and involvement with Full Sail. So whether that means they are staying with Full Sail for the for the foreseeable future for the TV tapings, or whether that means they're going to do the live TV on the road, but maybe they will still shoot something that's network only for at Full Sail. I'm not sure. Well, here's, I mean, here's, uh, here's the reason I say that is I just can't imagine, you know, this this is a studio. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is a studio show. The NXT would be then at Full Sail University, right? Yeah, but that's part of the charm. Those is same it, rabid fans that are the, there. But the, the shows that really pop for people are the takeover shows, which are, are done at the big arenas, right? Yeah. Okay. But that, but again, but that, that kind of, that, that's, if they it, again, it's not broke. Don't fix it. Part of the charm of the NXT Weekly is the fact that they it, it, they are in that intimate setting. I think that, uh, that's... it's very and and then it makes the takeover stand out that much more because you don't see NXT in front of fifteen thousand people every week. I think there's charm in Full Sail, but I think you know bluntly, if you put that show versus a show that's done in front of thirteen thousand fans. One of them's just going to look bigger and more impressive, right? Well, first, well, first off, the only one that's going to be in front of thirteen thousand right now for AEW is the very first one. After that, okay. they're going to be in front of okay. five or six. Okay. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference of, of of look. I think it will be dynamically different. I think AEW will look and feel like a bigger, more vibrant product. And you know, with Full Sail, you know, again, you're going to have the same fiends, that, f- f- same fans every week. Largely, that come to the show. I mean, you'll have a couple people that come out, but you're only going to have a couple hundred fans that you could fit in there. And you know, I go back to the, the TNA Asylum days where they ran those, they ran that place for so long, and you know, by the end, everyone was like, these fans have, you know, they become their own entity. You know, they do, they're kind of their own thing. They're not reacting how we want them because they're so accustomed to being there every week. I can't see Full Sail University being the long term home for 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 NXT. And, and the reason I point that out is because. I think as soon as it does start to go outside of full sale, I think that that's when maybe you would see more Vince involvement would be my theory of the case. Now, it could be very wrong, but I think as soon as you see these products next to each other on TV, it is just a matter of time before WWE goes, we got to get this thing in front of a bigger audience to get those kinds of reactions. Well, they're going to have to wait some time before they do that, because here's the thing. Again, up to this point, NXT has only been seen by those who have the network. So, yeah, it works great for SummerSlam weekend, for all the big pay-per-view weekends when they have, and they're in these bigger cities, you know, New York and Toronto, whatever, to get these fans to come out and sell out the Barclays Center or sell out the, you know, wherever. Um, you know, they, NXT is going to have to get some exposure on, t- on, on basic TV, on basic cable to be able to take it to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and these places and expect to get, uh, you know, a good enough house. I th- but again, so. the product should be unique enough. I think that the NXT product should reflect the kind of energy you had during the Attitude Era, you know, with the kind of wink and nods here. I mean, you got to acknowledge the situation that you're in if you're going to play this game here right now. And, uh, I, yeah, again, it's like I think there's going to be a lot of buzz around this thing right now. I think that AEW is going to come out of the gate looking like a bigger deal than NXT, which is going to be a studio show. And the charm I would get works on the network, but I don't know when you put it out onto television. I don't know how that translates. I, I, I just don't see it working in the long term. Boy, oh, boy, how... Let's see. What is it? Oct- I mean, October was it? October second. That's the Wednesday that they all start going yeah. head to head. I mean, that is that is going to be fascinating to wait for those ratings to come out on October third, October fourth. Well, it'll be fascinating too because we'll have two weeks worth of ratings for NXT, and we're going to see does yes. NXT see a bump in week three, or does NXT see a hit in week three because of AEW? Right. Well, I'm well. You know, just to just to you know, I I, I have to hold you off the air, uh, and, and hopefully we'll have we'll play a clip of it next week, and then I'll have a thing tonight, Thursday night, on Trib Live. It's T R I B L I V E dot com. Trib Live. I'll be talking to Cody Rhodes, so um, uh, be interested to 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 
toss some of this at his way and see what his what his official response is. Yeah, what is the war plan, Justin? That's what we want to know. How what is the what is their methods of attack here against their enemy that they're sharing the ring with, the uh, proverbial ring with? I'm very interested. Uh, well, here's a couple ways they're going to be trying to uh, go on the attack. Here they've announced even more for their upcoming uh, first TV tapings. AEW has announced for their fifth. AEW on TNT episode. This will be October 30th in Charleston, West Virginia. Chris Jericho will wrestle. I guess this will be his first time wrestling. Doesn't he hasn't been announced for any of the first four shows? Well, he's on. He, well, he's on the debut. Oh, that's true. He's doing the tag match on the debut. That's right. That's right. He's doing the tag match with the mystery partners. My apologies. Uh, but they'll also crown their AEW tag team champions on the fifth show as well. So I guess we'll get the. Uh, you know, we've already found out a couple of the other semifinal nights there. So more stuff rolling out. They've booked themselves up to when they release. I'm going to guess we're going to get a couple more towns here coming up pretty soon. If I were them, I wouldn't be waiting. I would I would definitely continue to keep rolling these cities out and trying to keep these sellouts going right now because the appetite is, is definitely there at the moment, you know? Yeah, I mean, tickets go on sale tomorrow uh, here on Friday for Pittsburgh, so we'll see if the sellout continues. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, mean, it, it, I mean, they're just doing it really well. Every every show, every 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 town they're, they're releasing um, for TV, I mean, they're giving some hook. You no, know, first, you know, women's champions crowned here, tag champions crowned here. You know, they're given a hook, so that's good. That's great. Uh, well, uh, John Moxley, uh, who will be a part of the first few episodes of AEW on TNT, uh, the Observer is reporting that he's dealing with an elbow injury. Uh, now, no word yet on the injury specifics, but it may be an infection that Moxley picked up while working in New Japan uh, this past summer. Now, Moxley, or this current summer, now Moxley had worked uh, Northeast Wrestling Indie events just this past weekend, and his singles matches were switched to tag matches, except for the match with Pentagon Jr., and Moxley insisted on doing that singles match, but was very careful not to bump on the elbow. Uh, well, that's not what you want to hear going into the first couple no. teams. Right? I mean, it, you know, but it's, uh, you know, the old adage, it ain't ballet, and of course he works a certain style where, I mean, he's always going to be banged up. Yeah, infection, that's serious. Uh, that, that, that could be serious if... if uh, if things go the wrong way. Yeah, and, you know, he's taking on Kenny Omega just next week in it all out. So that'll be the, the tail of the tape. You know, how does that belt go, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I guess everybody watches Elbow. Um, AEW also appears to have signed uh, eSports host announcer Alex Goldenbar, Alex Goldenboy Mendez. Uh, Alex did do uh, commentary at uh, Fighter Fest. Uh, yeah, again, I've watched all the uh, AEW shows live. But I've heard of the announcers that people have uh, uh, got to hear so far. He's been, uh, I think, largely pretty much everybody's favorite. I think everybody really enjoyed Alex on commentary from what I gathered. Yeah, I've heard positive feedback as well from him. There you go. Uh, and uh, lastly here, man, a lot of AEW news. Well, a this is my AEW to WWE pivot here, though. But uh, AEW got the top block here today. Um, uh, Wrestling Observer reporting an agency representing both CM Punk and WWE Recently, how did, first of all, how do these two fall under the same agency somewhere? Very interested. Um, but recently reached out to Fox officials about Punk possibly doing work with WWE once again. Now, CAA, which represents Punk and WWE, recently had an agent reach out to Fox higher-ups about having Punk serve as one of the co-hosts on the upcoming, <laughs> it's true, upcoming <laughs> WWE in-studio talk show on FS1. Now, Punk would be working for Fox. <laughs> Not WWE, if a deal were to be reached. Now, the Observer speculated that WWE would hate that idea. The word is that there has been 
Zero negotiation. You think? <laughs> Zero negotiation. Let's, let's give. Let's. Here's our new home where we're where we're being touted as royalty and we're the new big thing. Let's go ahead and put the guy that absolutely hates us on TV with a live mic. Now the word is there. I got to finish all the notes, and I'll give you. I'll give you my take. Word is that there have been zero no, uh, negotiations about Punk taking the gig. It was also noted by the Observer that this is only something Punk's agent brought up and not anything that Punk clearly wanted. Sources... I think... <laughs> now, wait, I'm not done, Justin. <laughs> Sources in WWE reportedly indicate that there is nothing to this speculation. The WWE FS1 studio show is set to take care of Tuesday nights later this year. Okay, now, now, now say your things about Punk in, in this situation. <laughs> I think... I think you mean the word of Punk's former agent. <laughs> that guy might be fired. Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's no, I mean, right now, like, could you imagine? I mean, yeah, I'm sure Vince and Triple H, none of them want Punk with a live mic on their new on their new prestigious home that's, again, treating them like royalty and paying them a billion dollars. Let's put the guy that has a the, the biggest grudge against us who uh, clearly, you know, <laughs> he's, he's independent on his own. He does not care about... Coming back to us, let's put him with a live mic on TV on the, on the show that's supposed to represent and tout <laughs> our brand. That's, yes, that's see, a, CM Punk not working for WWE, only for Fox. I can only imagine that dynamic with Renee Young being sure. like, oh, uh, the, the next Jetta Super Showdown is coming up. Punk, uh, are you excited for the Shane McMahon Miz Best of the World match? <laughs> You're all terrible. Right? Yeah. I can only imagine. Punk, the what, what, Punk, what are you more offended by? Shane McMahon's moniker or the location of said, said show? Well, Renee, I'm glad you asked me that because I got a couple things I'd like to get off my chest. <laughs> it would just be a weekly. It would just be a weekly pipe bomb. Oh man, yeah, pipe. You know, pipe bomb TV on FS1. There you go. It'd draw, no doubt about it. But good for business. Oh. Too. Uh, Smash, so let's get back here to WWE a little bit. I wanted to note SmackDown this week drew 2.142 million. This is only down 1%. I wouldn't normally bring this up, but last week's episode was the best SmackDown they'd done since the Superstar Shakeup. Uh, that uh, that drew 2.219, so just above this, the third best SmackDown since the Superstar Shakeup. I just thought this was an interesting uh, um, point um, because it showed that the, the momentum they had coming out of last week's show with the stuff they've got going right now. Uh, with Randy and Kofi uh, and uh, a lot of the stuff we discussed yesterday, the Roman Reigns uh, whodunit angle, seems to be resonating. They didn't really lose anybody, or not a, a large, significant portion of people from last week, Justin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, again, I thought it was a pretty good SmackDown. I, I thought the hook was, was doing pretty well, holding people on. So, uh, I mean, I guess a little interesting that it did go down, but just slightly, so not really anything to be alarmed by. Yeah, that's the thing, though, is like usually it goes SummerSlam, and then the show after SummerSlam, and then there's usually some kind of dip into, you know, grabbing people. I think it's nice that this year coming out of SummerSlam, there were still some hooks, you know? A lot of people said, oh, well, how can you keep Roman off SummerSlam and all that? This is a totally fresh angle that they're letting to, letting breathe and play out here. You know, you either like it or you don't, but like we talked yesterday— it's definitely got my attention, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we got an update here on WWE and CFO Money Sign. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, their relationship, according to Russell Votes, the relationship ended a few months ago, and CFO Money Sign are no longer working with WWE or WWE Music in any way. This report came after uh, lots of recent rumors about the two sides' relationship. Uh, another tweet from Arcade Songs, the publishing and production company led by Grammy-nominated song songwriter and producer Greg Wattenberg, that CFO Money Sign works for indicated that the working relationship is still going. Responding to a tweet on NXT moving to the USA, Arcade Songs wrote, Something tells me we're going to be hearing a lot more 
Uh, CFO money sign here. And I've now said CFO money sign far more times than I anticipated in this uh, segment. Now, uh, you know, the, I was really sad when they lost Jim Johnson because he's wrote everything that I liked. These guys seem yeah, to spring. Yeah, spring back Jim Johnson. Right? Like I read this and my first thought was, it's okay. Call Jim. Those are, we're, we're going back to the war. You're going to need guys like Jim in the, in the foxhole, right? Yeah, especially because like from what I gathered, I don't know if you – if you talk to anybody about this back when it happened before I gathered, they kind of, I think they did Jim a little dirty. That's yeah, what I, I don't heard. think Jim was, yeah. I don't think Jim for his 30 plus years of service um, and accomplishments for what he did for them. I don't think he was, uh, I think, I think basically the new younger hip kids kind of came in and he was just kind of like phased out, but not with the most respect. He said on the record that he got, he got fired by Vince via phone. Right. And that, you know, for him, he was like, really? You know, like you can't even call me yeah. in your office or anything and say it to my face. So I, uh, yeah. I, I would like to see this as a chance. If this is true, who knows what's going on here? But yeah, as a chance to bring Jim back in because you know you talk about people that belong in the Hall of Fame, those Warrior Award people that the original intention was for. Jim sure. absolutely would qualify for that role, and the package you could do for him would be way over the top. You know, sure. And I mean, and nothing against C- the CFO guys. I mean, because they ha- they have done. Uh, I mean, they they've done some. If you actually dive into what they've done and how they do things, I mean, they, they you know they they've been, you know, it's nothing against them. But like, yeah, if, if Jim, I mean, what what wrestling fan again? What wrestling from our fan from our era doesn't want to see or hear? You know, look, if if Jim settled that he's going to be retired and has made his money, good for him. Live, you know, live your best life, uh, retired uh, from here on out. But I absolutely agree. You know, they 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 honored um, uh, Sue. I'm forgetting her last name this past year for the Warrior Award. Uh, so yeah, I, we would be thrilled to see Jim get the stage. There you go. Uh, well, GameStop caught up with Tom Savini Studios designer Jason Baker, who supervised the work for Bray Wyatt's Mask and other Firefly Funhouse elements. He noted the following regarding uh, what's going on. With Bray Wyatt right now, he says the need to keep watching. Uh, they need to keep watching because they haven't seen anything yet. If they think this is the greatest thing to ever happen, they just need to keep watching. It's going to blow them away. I really like this piece. Um, I I want to know. I wa- I mean, I think it's cool that there's like some kind of long plan here that we're watching get played out. I mean, that makes me very optimistic about what's going on with Bray Wyatt at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed Jason back in like a late April, I think it was right at, I think literally the week the Firefly Funhouse stuff started airing, right. uh, late April, early May. Um, and even then, he said, just keep watching. He hinted towards some overall like different elements that will be introduced, and we saw different elements. We saw, you know, we, you know, we saw we saw it as it unfold over the summertime. So I completely agree and or completely uh, believe uh him saying that that, that that there's some kind of a plan and so far they've stuck with that plan so keep watching i hope the fiend beats undertaker at wrestlemania can you imagine you know no you know what the, the, between the how they're spacing out his appearances between how they are protecting him between him taking up you know angle foley uh, lawler you know he's hitting he's hitting legends and, and intermixed with with uh current talent i mean yeah that's not that, that is not out of the realm of possibility could you see him winning the rumble I don't know. It's 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 hard to imagine and apply the fiend in like in a title picture in a rumble and anything that's kind of conventional because he's so unconventional right now. But like he's 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 just so supernatural. So it's hard to imagine because you got to remember part of like 
you know, it, 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 let me put it this way, just to answer the question uh, as I've gone long-winded here. If he was, it would have to be like him being like number 30 or him ambushing number 30. And, and he'd have to be in the ring for a very brief amount of time. Like you can't see him come in at like number 20 and spend 20 minutes walking around in the ring, just being another schmo, you know, trying to, you know, punch, kick, struggle in the corner. <laughs> that would just take the the illusion of the, of the fiend really away. Yeah. Uh, I think I yeah I just kind of threw it out there because I was thinking you know big things you could do but yeah I w- I wouldn't want to I prefer he take Undertaker on heads up at, at Mania rather than going into a title feud at Mania there's just so much you could do and you can play off the history with Bray and Taker and it's different now so mm-hmm. um there are varied reports coming out now about how much money WWE is making for this new NXT on USA contract now Deadlines uh, Deadline spoke with Guggenheim Securities analyst Curry Baker who now has a buy rating on WWE stock shares he estimates the deal is worth around. $30 million per year. Uh, Baker's info is based off conversations with the company. Now, Market Watch talked to J.P. Morgan analyst David Karnovsky, who also remains high on WWE stock. He estimated that the NXT USA deal could bring in $70 million per year. He's estimating that based on viewership and what WWE is being paid for their Raw and SmackDown deals. Yet again, Yahoo Forbes spoke with MKM Partners and analyst Eric Handler, who also has a buy rating on WWE stock, and he estimates that NXT USA deal will bring in between 50 and $100 million for WWE each year. And he is estimating that the deal could be worth around half the, uh, could be worth around half the $1.9 million per hour that WWE is being paid under the new Raw and SmackDown TV deals. Uh, that's a lot of coin that's being thrown around out there. I like how the, the estimates slowly worked their way up, uh, right? I guess 50 million, which is the number, which was reportedly yesterday. That's probably a safe bet there because it's somewhere right in between, you know? Yeah. And, you know, back to our conversation earlier, I just, you know, makes you, makes you think obviously the more money that's involved in it is the more, you know, more encouragement the Vince is going to be involved in it. Who'd have thought after like the two big deals, re-signing raw with USA, getting, Fox on uh, getting smacked on a Fox. We were like, wow, they've done some great TV deals. Here's another third brand getting even more money from USA. Very impressive. Bye, bye, bye. That's what they all say. That's what NSYNC said. <laughs> it's different. NSYNC, uh, NSYNC <laughs> as stock analyst, I would watch that show. <laughs> Plus, I think buy was spelled differently by them. Ain't no lie. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> <laughs> That's dumb. Uh, all right, we're going. Off, we're going off the rails here. Uh, was Joey Fatone in in sync? Was he Backstreet Boys? Oh no, that's you're lucky. I remember. Bye bye bye. He's a host on a new game show network show. That's why I asked. He's back in my life. I love the game show network. All right, um, let's get to uh, XFL news here. XFL, uh, they have uh, announced their team names for the eight teams. We're going to get the St. Louis Battlehawks, the Tampa Bay Vipers, the New York Guardians, the Seattle Dragons, Los Angeles Wildcats, D.C. Defenders, Houston Roughnecks, Dallas Renegades. Uh, The season is set to begin February of 2020. Uh, Quarterbacks have been signed. Coaches have been announced. Uh, Training, I'm sure, will begin here uh, within the next couple months. What do you think of the names here, Justin? Well, it would have been cool if uh, the Vipers were St. Louis, considering Randy Orton. And, um, you know, Seattle Dragons, I mean... Dan O'Brien wasn't he once the American Dragon? I mean, he's from the state of Washington. That's true. Uh, even though he's not Seattle, but still, sure. Uh, they've they've always kind of built Seattle like as his general home. Like when they go to Seattle for TV, and he wears like Seahawks jerseys and colors. So uh, I don't know, just trying to find all the wrestling connections I can. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a DC sports fan because where I'm from. So uh, I'm sure the Defenders won't be any worse than what the Redskins are. Wasn't Ernest Miller the Wildcat? 
Or did I get that? Or is that wrong? Or he was something. Ernest Miller was the. He wasn't wild. He was the cat. He was the cat. The cat. Miller. Yeah, when he was dancing like James Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stretch it. Um, and of course the uh, renegade. Who could forget WCW's renegade? Which was a ripoff of the Ultimate Warrior, and the Warrior uh, did start. Didn't he start in uh, WCCW out of Dallas? Um, true. The Dingo Warrior? Oh no, no, that no, he wasn't in WCCW. Where was he? Where was the Dingo Warrior? It's him and Sting. Yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. Nonetheless. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, Guardian, New York Guardians, Batista, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, but he's from DC. Okay. So it should have been DC Guardians. Look, I'm stretching here. Stretching. All right. Um, Variety reporting, Miz and Miss. Miz and Maurice, I should say. So used to saying Miz and Miss. Their new home is a $6.4 million mansion located in the Thousand Oaks, California, gated community. It is a neoclassical English manor-style house that was built in 2001 and is 10,400 square feet with six bedrooms and nine bathrooms. It's acre. It's a 1.2.7-acre estate. The owners before them bought the mansion in 2018 and paid $6 million for it. The WWE couple sold their home in Texas last month for about 2.64. They brought they bought their previous house in 2017, paying 2.35. So a uh, big upgrade here for Miz and Maurice. Um, that is a bit, very big home. If you watch uh, Total Divas and, and Miz and Maurice, uh, Miz and Miss, you would know that Maurice is a licensed real real estate agent. So she probably did all these deals on her own. Yeah, didn't they just move to Austin, Texas, a few years ago? And they're already leaving. Maurice has the bug. She is flipping houses left and right. I honestly think that they think that they can buy buy a house. Uh, Maybe make some improvements, but up the sale of it because they can attach their names to the property, make a profit, move to the next house. I mean, you know, they're moving well, I mean, up. The... Who, who wouldn't buy a house from Maurice? I'd buy anything she offers to sell me. <laughs> anyway, Maurice, you know, Miz, for all of his successes and things like that, you know, Maurice is staying busy behind the scenes. I think it's just worth noting here. She's doing a great job as a real estate agent, even for her own properties. Uh, all right. Lastly, here, Rusev is the latest superstar to call out. I'm going to what I'm what I wrote down here. Questionable pro wrestling source brad shepherd now bray wyatt went after brad earlier this week uh, shepherd reported that rusev had resigned but he also reported that he had not resigned to which rusev tweeted you need to make up my mind you make up your mind my dude uh you know what's up with this dude i don't even know who this guy is he just kind of came out of nowhere and i know he's like upsetting everybody yeah i mean uh uh nia Jax called him out as he was trying to say when Nia Jax was actually going to come back from injury, uh, Renee Young called him out about saying that there was an incident with Renee Young over in Saudi Arabia. Um, this guy reported literally every day for three months that Joshua Banks was coming back. And then when she finally did come back, he touted all the scoop. Um, I, I've, this guy keeps coming up because of, I'll be honest, when I first heard, when I first started seeing the vast majority of his stuff being inaccurate and being opposite or flip-flopped, you know, at, at start, and for those of you listening who obviously don't do, and have, you know, like can't, you know, can't can't relate to what Nick or I or any, anybody in the rest of the media deals with. Like, I give a little bit of leeway because what people do, what you know, people are always going to, they're always going to believe, fans are always going to majorly believe the wrestler over said reporter, and you know, they just are. And things do change, and wrestlers have denied things publicly, even though if it is true, because it's you know, it's bad timing or whatever. Like, so that stuff does happen. So I give a little leeway to guys if they're said to be wrong or get called out but the rapid rate that this guy's been called and then i watch the track record and then there's there's very famous tweets i've seen people post of him where he's asking for you know informants and he's offering to pay informants you know trying to build up his source list i this guy i mean it's it just 
the wrestling media has come so far to get you know WWE to give more regular contact and access, and AEW obviously gives you know phenomenal access after the events. And this stuff is what sets us back. This stuff is what provides a bad name to the you know to the general media wrestling media industry. I don't believe anything. I mean, I don't even believe this guy's name is Brad Shepard because I think he'd report that wrong. Wow. So you know what? With that, Justin, we're not going to refer to him anymore on the show. Whether somebody calls him out. We've obviously never referred to him as a source, but this is we're gonna we're gonna have the buried alive here at match right now. Brad Shepard has been buried. No more Brad on the show. Rest in peace. No complaints for me. My guest at this time is a former Impact Wrestling star. He's a free agent. He's also the Booker Man, uh, the EVP, and a bunch of other hats that he told me before we got on the air here. He is from WrestlePro. It is KM. KM, thank you very much for taking the time. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. With the, with the people listening, with the people listening, don't know we actually tried to put this together for the last couple of months, but uh, schedules didn't line up, more particularly mine. So I apologize for that. But we're here now, so let's do this. Don't worry about it, man. You know I always like it when uh, when my friends, the people I've been uh, talking to, come back into my news uh, headlines here. Uh, just this past week, I saw the news about uh, Pat Buck from Russell Pro becoming a WWE producer, and you were listed. This was PWInsider.com. This is Mike Johnson. He said that you are now the go-to guy for WrestlePro. Is that the case? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people didn't know exactly how the behind-the-scenes stuff works, as they don't with most companies. But, I mean, Pat's, it's Pat's company. He's the founder of the company, and I'm his right-hand man. I've been that way since the start of the company. I mean, so with him... uh him going up on the road full-time with them i mean it just it just puts a couple of more responsibilities that i didn't have before but ultimately pretty much in the same spot i was before everyone everyone's messaging me congratulating me on this new promotion and i was like guys it's every everything's still business as usual here every so okay but um yeah <laughs> Okay, well, talk talk to me a little bit more about WrestlePro and, and your relationship with Pat Buck. You know, what is the history here with every with you and uh, with them? Well, I mean, I go back, I go back with Pat geez, to two thousand one. Uh, the first time him and I ever actually met was at a show by Jack Sabbath in two thousand one, when I was only like a year and a half into the business and trying to work my way in to companies. I was doing security at a show in Staten Island and Pat was doing the same thing. He just like volunteered his time, showed up, said, all right, yeah, yeah. I just want to get my foot in the door. I'll do security. And then I was like, uh, I don't think he had been to a wrestling school yet at that point because I remember telling him that one out in Long Island and at my recommendation, he actually explored it and joined it. And that started his uh, long journey. So I go back with Pat now, it was 18 years going on 19 years. That um, and then uh, what's it called? I helped them link up with a former partner where they started uh, a company in 2012 in New Jersey, and then after a couple of years, they went their separate ways, and he ultimately created WrestlePro. But I've been with him since day one with that as well. Uh, we were roommates in Florida in 2010, 12, no, 2009, when uh, he went he trained at FCW for a little and. I was down there as well. I mean, we we have a long, long history with each other and stuff like that. Again, and uh, we're time tested as friends and stuff like that. We never screw each other over. We always have each other's back. We never lie to each other. And you know, you know those are the the, the long term friends. When you could have a friendship for that long and stuff like that, then there's a, there's a special bond, there's a special brotherhood there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, we're 
it's not one of those, yeah, you know, everyone in wrestling is each other's friend. Everyone, everyone that gets hired in a, in a good position in wrestling, all of a sudden that's their best friend. And so, you know, that's a bunch of phony baloney, but uh, yeah, no, he's, I have a couple of, I have a small circle of really close friends. Yeah. He's, he's at the head of that circle. Like if I got married tomorrow and my brother, and I didn't have a brother, he would actually take the card as my best man. Okay. Okay. That's pretty tight. So what do you think that Pat will bring to WWE here as a producer? What, what kind of a, what kind of a guy is he? What are his strengths as a, as a coach and a trainer? Uh, well, he's, he's not, he's not going to be a coach down at NXT. He's a producer on the roads. He's helping, um, put together matches and whatnot. Uh, he's still obviously just started on the road, so okay. he's still getting his feet wet and whatnot. But I mean, as time goes on, he, he's, he's, he's just a sea of ideas. Like he has ideas on top of ideas. And a lot of times, especially again, you're talking out a grander stage compared to what we are down here, but like, just seeing him in action, even even the more experienced guys, the guests that come in that have been doing this for so long, that had TV runs and stuff like that, and yeah. I see him helping out their matches and giving them ideas, and like, wow, that's a great idea. Oh wow, yeah, wow, oh, I didn't even think it. Like he, he he's just a very very good mind to have. So uh, what's McCall, and especially when it comes to putting together, and he loves the words fine tuning, uh, and fine tuning matches and stuff like that. Like he's he's really good. Not everybody has that quality. Just like not everybody could be a, even you could be a great wrestler, but you maybe a crappy trainer. You could be good at helping people put together matches, but you kind of suck at your own matches. Like everyone has their own thing. It doesn't mean they're great at everything. He's actually he's really good in the ring too. So I'm not just like you know kissing his ass, but if you look <laughs> if you watch his matches, and then if you actually train with him at the school, and then you help him age in one of your matches. He's actually, you know, a, a jack of all trades and stuff like that. He's so he's a he's a good find for WWE for sure. I mean, I think that's going to be a very very long lasting relationship with him up there, and I think they're going to be very uh, pleased with uh, his work that's, as he goes on with them. That's awesome. Yeah, I apologize. I actually was just talking to Danny Cage like two hours ago, uh, and he did the uh, guest coaching stint uh, down at the Performance Center with Pat. He said nice things yeah. about Pat. So I have producer written. I had coach on the mind. So, so I apologize. But that's a lot of pressure, you know, stepping into that role as a producer. They're being on the road, helping to put matches together. I mean, they just lost a guy in Arn Anderson, you know, and, and Pat's one of the first guys to be coming in there in a role like that. I mean, that that is a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you're now you're comparing like let's say like guys like Dean Malenko and Arn Anderson and the, the the older generation. If you look at the guys they have now, they have Sanjay Dutt, they have Abyss. Now they brought in Pat. They have Tyson Kidd in that role. Jason Jordan's up there uh, in that role. Like they have a younger crop of guys that are stepping in because at some point they need to groom the next generation to fill those roles because i mean WWE's not going to go anywhere they're not then you know what i mean they're going to be around 100 years 200 years from now so they just keep need to it, it has to be a rotating door they keep needing they keep uh have have to train that next generation of guys and stuff like that and also you also want to freshen things up in my opinion yeah i mean everybody has different ideas i mean some guys you know are a little bit more in tune with what's going on out there uh, present day i mean the fans are evolving the fans are changing stuff like that so you want to kind of you know get different mindsets in there and stuff like that and but again it's, it's always a it's always a revolving door and stuff like that it's you know, what whatever happens today doesn't mean it's that same way next year or 10 years from now it's, it's always changing and stuff like that but you want the best minds that you could find in those kind of positions and stuff like that and right now they got a good crop because 
aside from Pat, I'm also good friends with Sanjay, who's one of the ones who got me, uh, who brought me into Impact. And he's another one. He's very similar to Pat. Like those are two guys that are they, they have the minds of Tyson Kidd who's been there forever. Yeah. I mean, they they all fall in line uh, of like the same type of mindset, and it's it's exciting. It's exciting for for someone like me because now, like I not a lot of fans know who's really you know backstage pulling the strings or whatever who has and and helping out with what and not. And so I watch the product from a different set of eyes. Uh, and knowing who's helping with what and stuff like that, and it's and it's and it's uh, it's fascinating to me. Uh, I think it's I think it's very promising going forward. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of the hires that they made, they put in those positions. And Shane Helms is there. I mean, I think they, and even Jeff Jarrett and all these guys, you know, <laughs> Paul Heyman, bring like Bischoff. I mean, I think those are all all huge uh, positives. It does feel like they kind of raided Impact's backstage area. There, you know, you talk about all the names. <laughs> you talk about all the names that uh, are the young minds that are in the room there right now. You know, yeah, Tyson Kidd, sure, he's been there for a while, but everybody else, these are all people that have been hired in the last year or so, you know, to yeah. be put in those positions. Yeah. So, uh, very but they, also, but they also split up the brand and stuff like that, and now, uh, you know, they're going to, NXT is going to be a third brand on the road and stuff like that. So they are running a lot more shows and stuff like that. So they do need to bring in, and they're doing split brands, so they do need uh, more people on board. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, though, over the last year, 100% right, they um, – they definitely expanded, and it seems like yeah, there was a huge influx all at once with all these uh, the producers and uh, other other talents and whatnot that they hired. But um, I yeah. think it's all for the better. Yeah. Well, uh, talk to me a little bit about you know where do you see Russell Pro in the landscape right now? You know, I know Russell Pro. Uh, you guys worked with GFW for a little bit there, if I if I'm not mistaken. I think you guys uh, may have done. Is it House of Hardcore? I think you guys may have worked with a little bit as well. Um, but you know, what, where do you see Russell pro in the landscape right now? What, what kind of an impact do you want it to be having? Is that, is that supposed to be a, a, a pun right there? What kind of impact? <laughs> <laughs> Just the only word that I could think of at the time. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, we've always had a, a good relationship with pretty much everybody. Um, especially when we started up Russell pro. So we always had a, even, even WWE to an extent, we had a decent relationship with as far as, you know, Sometimes they would, when they're in the area, they would reach out uh, through Kurt Hawkins and Pat Buck, like, hey, send us guys, and we, a handful of our students would get extra work and whatnot. But, I mean, for, for a while we had a really good – especially while I was there, we had, and Sanjay Dutt was there and stuff like that. We had a really solid relationship with Impact where, I mean, we were benefiting each other. They were they – were, um, I want to use the word piggybacking, but they were doing joint shows with us just to keep – just to make it look like – give the illusion that they're running house shows, I guess you want to – to just uh, say it that way, but uh, then we would also benefit by having their talent on our shows, and it was a good working relationship for a while and whatnot. I mean, once I mean my contract ran up in March, and then uh, we came, to, we we both basically agreed. I mean, they 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 gave me some more dates afterwards, and I mean my to, truth be told, my body is just like completely shot. I'm working on. I'm going to start doing the stem cell procedure on my knee and PRP oh. and all this other stuff. I'm, I mean, it's shot. My, my knee is shot six surgeries and stuff like that. I'm like, dude. And, and just by dumb luck, every time I did an impact taping, I somehow some way got hurt and it's no fault of their own. And stuff. some of the actually early on in the beginning, when I was doing like six, seven matches a week, that was a little rough, but uh, I always had dumb luck. I always kept getting hurt at these tapings. And I didn't understand why, even when I did nothing, even when I did nothing, I would somehow always get hurt. I'm like, okay, I'm 36 now. I'm, falling apart i need to 
you know, everyone's like, we miss you and Paul and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, I, I, I miss it too. But listen, guys, let me, I, I need to relax. Even on the WrestleBro shows, if you look at the WrestleBro shows, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even, most people book themselves in the main event. Nine out of 10 shows, I don't even book myself on the shows. But um, yeah, I, I just like the time, time off and I'm just focusing on myself right now, trying to recover and get healthy and whatnot. And we'll see, we'll see how I feel uh, next year. But um where do I see Russell to go back to your original question? Well, when we were working with Impact for a while, and I mean, we're not we're not trying to be, we're not delusional in the aspect of like, oh, we're gonna get TV and we're gonna do this and sign contracts and blah blah. Like, dude, there's so many companies out there that that I mean, AEW is gonna kick the doors in in a major way when they go on TV, and then you have MLW, obviously WWE at the top of the mountain, and all these other places, Impact still doing their thing on whatever channel they're on. And I mean, we're, we're just trying to be, I don't know, just, just be an all around solid, not necessarily alternative, but like we run New York, New Jersey. I mean, I came up with this asinine idea that paid off to run in Alaska because nobody runs there. And yes. That worked and we're going back. Dude, that's but, so uh, cool. That is so cool that you've run it was well, twice now, I think Alaska, how many times you've done it. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll get that into a second. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second. Like, I so just like in the general area, we just want to run quality shows and produce quality uh, talent. Like that's that's another big thing too. If you could take some guy that has the passion and stuff like that that comes to the school in sloppy shape, and then over time we've had it so many times. These guys morph their bodies, like. Uh, get in really good shape they get really good in the ring and then you, you sit back like that's one of my biggest things and i'm not taking any credit for training people this is pat and a few of the other guys are mainly buck over at the school and they turn into these solid awesome freaking workers they look the part i help i help out a lot of guys with gear like nikos ricos that recently did an nxt against keith lee if you saw his radical outfit with the one pant leg and the one long sleeve shirt yeah. uh, one long sleeve and the one pant leg and stuff that was i gave him that idea um, but, uh, them watching some, so, so for me, watching him kill it, like on NXT and then watching him wear this completely different outfit that like half the fans are saying, that looks cool. And all the half the fans are saying, what the hell is he wearing? He looks, it looks awful. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Some just little ideas where I can help. I'm living vicariously through a lot of the students, but I want to, I want to just, just be a solid company in the area, just well-respected, which I think we are. Yeah. Um, decently well-known which again i think we are and especially now with pat over there with our rest the school i mean the school was already phenomenal we already have like 50 students i mean if you go back since 2012 when the school opened there's been hundreds but um it's probably 50 to 60 rotating ones right here in new jersey and then another 40 out in new york there's a lot and and when it comes time to booking the shows it gets chaotic because everyone wants to be on the show and i'm like guys this just t- too many of you and then forget about the outside talent that message me like how how can i get booked i'm like i'm gonna be honest we have 70 guys here 70 like that between the schools that are ready to be on shows that i prioritize first and foremost they're our guys so i'm gonna give them a spot and they're freaking good uh so i just can't i feel like an asshole but i can't justify giving giving one of our guys spots to somebody on the outside unless there's a rhyme or reason behind it um so yeah, that's 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 the long version of the answer. I just we just want to be you know that solid group that's producing top-notch independent talent that runs quality shows on a consistent basis. It's not we're not trying to take over the world. Uh, the Alaska thing is a totally separate thing. Yeah, like, again, absolute idea that I came up with, yeah. and it's working. Yeah. What what are the what what are the uh, 
What have you learned from running Alaska? What is it like running pro wrestling in Alaska? Well, that was that that, that was phenomenal in itself because uh, I came up with this. I I, I visited Alaska uh, in uh, what month, what year are we in? <laughs> in 2018, April 2018. I just did an impromptu trip there with my buddy John Walters, R.J. Brewer. Um, I hit him up and I said, literally, because that's what we do. We're, we've been friends forever, and I, we always do things last second. I'm like, yo, you want to go to Alaska in uh, whatever a week or two weeks? He's like, yep. And that we just like randomly book trips to Anchorage for no reason, with no destination, no nothing. We just winged it. Same thing we did to Costa Rica when we went there the first time. And then um, I was just I was mesmerized by it. I always wanted to go there, and I was looking around. I was like, and I knew there was very, very limited wrestling there. If like I'm talking about minuscule, there's almost no wrestlers there. And they do. My buddy runs the. My buddy now I got I met I, I linked up with him through, obviously the channels that I went through to run the show. Yeah. But uh. He runs smaller shows, boxing slash MMA slash pro wrestling, all in the same ring, in the same venue, on the same day, one after the other, a mixed mash of stuff with the same referee. The same referee that's refereeing these boxing and MMA matches is also refereeing the pro wrestling matches, one after the other. It's, it's crazy. So there's not a lot going on out there. And Stephen DeAngelis from ECW, and I remember this because I was already involved in the business at this time. And I and I and again, even back then, I was always mesmerized by Alaska. He uh, he ran an event there in in the same building in Sullivan Arena, two thousand one. And then I, I never forgot that to this day. And then I, after I visited there, I um, a couple of months later, I put a status. It was August of the two thousand eighteen. I said I have another bucket list idea that I have. I said I'm going to run a wrestling event or a tour in Alaska. And then. Everyone's like, yo, if you ever do that, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come. Everyone basically like, this ain't going to happen. He's never going to do this. At that time, I didn't have any ideas on how to do it. I was just entertaining the idea that I'm going to see if I can do it somehow. So then I started Googling. I looked up wrestling rings and stuff like that. I came across a Zero One this, uh, Zero One Alaska, which ran one show and hasn't been in business in years. And then all of the channels led me to this one guy. And then he's like, my friend actually owns the only ring in alaska I was like, are you serious <laughs> and then but again and then he said uh, well there was two 14 foot low post rings where i was like dude there's no way and then one 16 foot ring there's no 18 or 20 footers um and then i was like and then again he said that he didn't take my email seriously because it was some guy from new jersey said hey i want to run an event in alaska he says he gets like five ten of those emails a year and like when the people start thinking of numbers and like how am i going to pull this off because you literally have to fly in all of the talent. Yeah. There's no way around it. Yeah. Like, so you're talking about a whole roster. So the only way to go to pull it off is to go big or, or you can't do it because you're going to, to get any of that money back with all these flights, with all this other stuff. It's just crazy town. So anyway, my buddy, Joe, he then hooked me up with uh, my buddy, Matt. And I say my buddy now, after I got to know them and meet them. And then Matt's like, Hey, I run these small shows. Listen, I see what you're doing, blah, blah. I want in like, but I want hundred percent want in on this. I think it was when I hit back my, the guy, Joe, when I said, all right, we confirmed Mick Foley. And then he said, pump the brakes. He's like, this is, this is freaking for real, isn't it? I said, Oh yeah, this is going down. And he's like, Oh, and I said, the Sullivan arena just confirmed. I have the date booked April 20th. And this was probably, I think October or September, and then he's like, whoa, they're really going to run this? Holy crap. And then now I'm bringing this big-time show into this place that doesn't get any wrestling. So, And I did my, I did my, uh, did my research. WWE goes every three to five years. They draw, you know, 45 to 5,500 people over there. And, and what's it called? 
you know, so, and there's 300,000 plus that live in Anchorage, there's 700,000 plus that live in Alaska. They get no wrestling virtually otherwise. And I'm like, and, and I love it over there. I'm like, I'm going to take over Alaska, dude. I'm going to pull this off. So I'm not going to reveal all the secrets, but I tell talking to my buddy, Matt, he put, he, he got a bunch, a couple of the sponsors lined up. And again, it's not, it was not life changing money that they sponsored a little bit, you know, a sponsorship covered a flight here, a flight there. But I mean, ultimately, we had to come out of pocket and stuff like that. The show, the show was substantial, man. I calculated the numbers. The show came out to like forty-eight thousand something dollars. It was up there, uh, but it turned a freaking profit. Wow! I mean, we didn't get rich. I didn't turn around and buy a house off of it, but it turned a, a decent profit. And we only had thirteen hundred people there. So I was like, and the building held eight thousand. I was like, okay, okay, there's something to this. And I, and I. I figured it out, man. I made the right connections and stuff like that. I have a lock on the only freaking ring over there. Um, and uh, the, pe- the right people that want to get involved. And, you know, the U.S. Army uh, wants, it was involved last show. They want to get more involved at this show. And, really? And Budweiser was involved. Yeah, they were a sponsor. The U.S. Army was a sponsor. Budweiser was a sponsor. Uh, the after-party place. We had like seven or eight sponsors for the last show, which helped out. Yeah. It helped out. But um, ultimately, it was walking into that it was a massive financial risk on even after the sponsor money it was a huge risk on pat and my my end and and it and i kept he that was a little he was trusting me that's that's what friends do they trust each other but he was you could, i can sense in his voice he's like uh you know if we break even i'll be happy i was like dude we're gonna make money trust me just trust me just, just let me do it please and then he's like okay okay but he was just he believed in me, but uh, mm-hmm. I, could, I, could, I could hear it in his voice. He's like, uh, you know, okay. And I was like, dude, trust. Because tickets, it's not like tickets poured in, but now, because they were, it was scary going up to the day, like the week of the show was scary. But now, uh, what we sold, last time it took us over a month to sell the first 100 tickets. When we put tickets on sale June 1st, we did a two-week announcement that tickets will go on sale June 1st. We, we sold 102 tickets on the first day. And uh, the first two rows sold out ringside. That's awesome. So this is yeah, you, phenomenal. You, you've taken phenomenal. you've taken over Alaska. You know, dude, I love your energy, Cam, like so much. Like hearing you talk about this, like I get excited. Like I want to go to Alaska. <laughs> I uh, I dude, all... please do. <laughs> December seventh, we're bringing back Brett. We're bringing Brett Hart for the first time. Brett's been in Alaska since August 12, nineteen eighty nine, in the Sullivan Arena. The inner, he was. Last time he was in Anchorage in the Sullivan Arena was 1989, August 12th against Kurt Henning uh, in a match that he says to this day is one of his best ever, and it is his best ever against Mr. Perfect, and it was freaking non-televised and not recorded. I was like, no! I wanted to make a video highlight and stuff. I even reached out to my buddy Mary Kate, who had the legendary Tom McGee match, who had all of Brett's matches. I said, please. I will pay you. Please tell me, for the love of God, you have this Brett versus Kurt Hatting match from 89 in Alaska. She went through her stash. She's like, Kev, I don't have it. I was like, well, now the word's uh, out. Now, now that's the thing is I'm going to tease this out there on the site, and there's going to be people going nuts. You know, maybe we get a fan cam something or other. Somebody can scrounge up, you know? Fan cam from 1989? What did that look like? I don't know. I think it's got one of them big uh, cranks on the side, yeah, right? right? Like, you got to, like... Think of the deal? cameras. Think of the cameras from 1989. How are you sneaking that into a into an arena? Mm. Maybe it was an inside. You have a huge thing on your shoulder and all your camera. Maybe it was an inside job, right? Maybe it was the caterers. You know, you always put those things underneath the catering tray and you wheel it into the building, right? Isn't that how you sneak stuff in? I guess. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's just that just that's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if that match existed, it would have landed in Bret Hart's lap somehow, some way, since he thought so highly of it. But um, yeah, whatever. But I mean, we're bringing him there, and I mean, just us using Bret Hart several times in New Jersey. He likes to reminisce about times he's had in the particular places he's currently in. So I have no doubt that that's. I mean, that's his last memory of that arena, that building, that town, that state, everything. So I'm sure that his uh, speech to the live crowd is going to be probably a tearjerker when it's all said and done, talking about Mr. Perfect and being in this building. I'm probably going to cry myself. I'm a huge Bret Hart fan. He's the one who got me into wrestling. Wow. Like, you know, it's funny. And we used him several times. And, like, my inner fanboy is always like, you, you, don't, you never had a picture with Bret Hart. And, like, we've had him on three of our shows. And I was like, because I was like, you know what? I, I don't think I don't think it's the most special thing sometimes, you know. Hey, can I get a picture of you? And I was like, you know what? I made it. I said to myself, I was like, screw this. In Alaska, I'm taking a goddamn picture with Bret Hart. Whether <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't care. I want. I need that for my for my own childhood uh, no, self right there. I I feel you can't because I'm 34, right? So I'm a little younger than you. But I used to co-host Bret Hart's podcast when he did the Sharpshooter podcast, and uh, you know that I was his co-host. And so Bret and I talked like a lot. But we never like hung out in person. And uh, after the show was over, I met him for the first time at Bud Carson's Pro Wrestling Museum in Pennsylvania. And uh, I, I did. I, made, I went out of my way to get that photo. You got to get that photo, man. I know it's like you're not supposed to do it because we're, we're in the business. But you, you, it's Brett. It's different, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, plus Alaska is super duper special and stuff like that. Uh, we just added Road Warrior Animal to that too. Um, he's going to be on that, and uh, I have a couple. I have not one or two more things in the works that if they if they go if they uh, pan out, this this is actually going to be this show is actually right now uh, bigger than the last one. I mean, uh, we had Mick Foley for the last one, we have Bret Hart for this one. Uh, That's awesome. You know, we had John Morrison for the last one, we have Road Warrior Adam for this one, and the crowd base, the fan base out there, yeah, they're wrestling fans and stuff like that. But I mean, just judging by just by their reactions and who, who they were migrating towards at the signing and stuff like that. Like they're, they're more of a, like an old school WWF type crowd where they, they, they don't, they never got to meet any of their childhood legends. So like, that's, that's more of a targeted, uh, targeted uh, guests that, that they want to meet rather than, you know, sure. someone currently out there right now, not necessarily not on TV. I mean, any of the top TV guys, I mean, I'm sure it would be big smashes. I'm talking about any of those, yeah, those like maybe I don't know. It's Orange, weird. It's Bret Hart or Orange Cassidy. I think that's maybe a good way to put it, right? You know, I, I wanted Orange Cassidy for this damn thing, and he signed with AEW. I wanted to bring him to Alaska because I didn't even care if the fans knew who he was or liked him, dude. I find him the to be the funniest. Oh my god, I I'm I'm, I'm I can't stop watching him. I swear, <laughs> I I sent Orange Cassidy after we used him for one of the last shows. I sent him I think like six dates. I said, dude, can you take all of these Russell Pro dates down? And then he's like, I'll let you know. And then it got leaked that he got signed. I was like, damn! I find him hilarious. No, but I'm talking about like like TV people. They, they, they care. They would care more about uh, maybe like maybe like a Road Warrior animal. Those early, those earlier legendary guys sure. more so than uh, like a Ken Kennedy type guy, like or okay. something along those lines. They, if you get what I'm saying, they sure. they want. They, they want nostalgia and legends and stuff because, again, it's just, just watching the people online to me fully. I'm looking at it as, like, this is, like, 98% adults that are on this line right now, you know, that uh, they're just meeting their childhood heroes. So, yeah, I, I, I figured out the formula on how to book these shows. I figured out how to make the money work. And 
like I said, and I always prioritize our guys first and foremost, because this is a once in a lifetime thing that nobody gets to do. And I want um, our guys to experience it before anybody else. I don't owe anybody else anything. In my opinion, uh, I would owe our guys stuff before I would owe anybody else. So yeah. I get hit up a lot. Hey, can you do this? Can you do this? I was like, dude, I, you expect me to buy you a $600 plane ticket and pay you and put you up in a hotel. Like, where's this, where's this money coming out of falling out of the sky? How am I, you know, if I'm going to spend any of that money, I'm going to spend it on our own guys. Yeah, absolutely. The the fans there don't know you just as they don't know them. So I'd rather justify spending the money on, on one of our deserving guys, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess I, I'll get to uh, I'll wrap it up here by asking you know KM you're you're giving so much back. I hear about you giving all these opportunities to other people. I know you you brought up earlier how you know your body's been you know you kept getting injured. You're a little beaten up right now, but you know what 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 are your personal future goals here? I mean, it doesn't see I, I mean it didn't seem like it doesn't seem like you're going to be going back to Impact uh, based off some social media back and forth. So I don't know where do you <laughs> you know I don't know if you want yeah We're back and forth with. <laughs> yeah, the the Demore stuff, you know that 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 seemed to elicit so many responses. There, I mean, do you worry when well, you do you worry when you tweet stuff like that to a former employer no. at all? Is that a worry for you? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Because it's not it's not a matter of me purposely saying like, oh, I'm slamming the door. Blah, blah, blah. Like at the end of the day, I mean, what's good? Jeff Jarrett brought me into Impact. Sanjay Dutt. After he left, Sanjay Dutt uh, came. Uh, Sanjay Dutt came at like the the month or two after I got there, and he was already one of my closest friends. and And it was just fun. I was traveling with Dutt. I was rooming with him. We were cracking jokes. It was literally like paid paid vacations, not paid extremely well by any stretch of the imagination. And the pay might have been a little late here and there, but uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was fun. And then after he went off to WWE. That first set of tapings, it wasn't fun. Now, and then I was getting hurt. Now it just became like low paying and not fun. And I wasn't looking forward to it anymore. I was almost dreading it. Um, so I, I, already, I was telling the guys beforehand, I said, when my contract's up, whether they re-sign me or not, uh, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not staying. If the, I mean, and they, didn't, they never offered me uh, a new deal. They just sent me uh, travel for like, the following tapings after my contract, I was already out of contract. And I told him, I said, listen, I said, I'm, I, it's honest. I said, I'm beat up, man. I said, what am I doing at these tapings? Like, Oh, we don't know. Can you do it or not? I said, if that's, if you're not giving me, you're not letting me know what I'm doing. Then the answer is no, I'm not going to do them. I said, cause I'm in bad shape. If I go there and I have, I have five matches and I'm getting destroyed and thrown around and crippling myself for it. It's, it's silly. If being followed doing some goofy, silly, easy peasy six minute tag match and rock on, I'll do it. But, uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I was walking into a trick where it's just like, Oh yeah, get him here. And I don't know, have me turn on follow and then follow squash me and then write me off. I don't know what their plans were. I really don't care to be honest with you, but yeah. I, I was, I was, I was over it at that point. And, and I, and don't get me wrong, even though it doesn't seem like it because of what we said on Twitter, I actually like Scott. I actually, I like, I, I, I got along. I hung out with the office over there. I hung out with Scott when it was, the, the hangout crew afterwards was Sanjay, myself, Scott, um, Josh Matthews, and a couple of the guys, like uh, backstage guys, like Eric and um, and Ross and stuff. Ross Foreman. Uh, they're they're all super cool dudes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just when when I made a lighthearted joke to that fan, and then he kind of took a jab at me. I was like, I was like, I'm biting my lip with all these skeletons in the closet. I know about this place, and you're gonna come at me like that. It's like. 
ooh, that, and I have a short fuse, so that, that, that lit that fuse, and then when he responded, and we kept going back and forth, I was like, oh, we're going to, okay, let's play this game, let's play this game, I was like, we're just going to start unloading and stuff like that, when you start talking about money, like, I paid you twice your indie rate, blah, 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 I was like, dude, come on, let's get, get, let's get with the program over here, like, if you're, you're, you can't, on one end, you can't be a company that wants to be viewed on the same level as WWE and now AEW and Ring of Honor and stuff like that. But then you're also on the other end comparing yourself to paying the same thing independent wrestling companies that run in in VFW holds in front of 16 people pay. Like, which one is it? Are you a major league company or are you a Bush League independent company? Which one are you? So, like, it just it was just nonsense. I get it. He's a company guy. He's an EVP. He has to defend the place. And I, trust me, I get it from his perspective. I would have done the same thing. Would I have taken a shot at me, knowing me? Not necessarily. Because, uh, like I said, I am a bit of a, a loose cannon that would have short fuse that has no filter, and I'll speak my mind. And I'll, I, I don't lie. No one's ever. It's funny. Uh, my gimmick was don't call you call me a liar. I was about to say like no one can ever say that. I've been a liar or I lie about anything. I don't, I'm not a liar. That's one thing I'm not, even though like it's, it's funny. I did that gimmick where I was um, basically lying about everything. Right. So, but uh, I, if you come at me with something, I'm going to, I'm going to fire back. I, I, that's always been my thing since day one. I, I have no filter, man. I have no shame. Like it's not about not having no shame. I mean, I have no, um, yeah, you know what I mean? Well, I'm I've, gonna, I, I'm going to, I'm gonna speak up for the better good, man. I'm gonna fucking def- I'm gonna defend myself at the end of the day, and I'm gonna do it with the truth. I will say this: I got to play like whatever the bingo was at the the VIP event before homecoming in in Tennessee, and I know you were <laughs> you were the the loudest, biggest personality in that room. You really made that a fun experience, I thought. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, they the, the VIPs are actually one of the funnest things. They kept sending me on the VIPs, and uh, I was like. Why am I always on these things? I was like, half the time I'm not even on the show, but I'm in the VIP. I don't think anyone here wants to buy these VIP packages to hang out with me. I was like, you know, send the Mooses and the Elis and all the Eddie Edwards and all these other guys. Like, why are you sending me? Like, who? No one in this company wants to hang out with me. Like, come I on, enjoy- I had a good but, uh, time. I thought you and Follow were hilarious. Conan was there. You know, like mean mugging people yeah. over a game of bingo. That was that was entertaining. You know, no, but yeah, the VIPs, the VIPs are fun and stuff like that. And there's a lot. Trust me, there's a lot of times I was at Impact where they were fun and stuff like that. Like I never been to Vegas before Impact brought me. I never been to Canada before Impact brought me, even though I'm a couple hour drive away. But um, there was a lot of there was a lot of times, and, and especially it's when Sanjay was there. And like I said, I. I I miss hanging out with the Rosses and the Josh and the and the, the Eric and the stuff like that and and that Chris, Chris Abyss. I miss him. He was such a good dude. I'm happy for him. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all good things come to end. I get tweets and hit up all the time. Like, hey, we miss this. We miss this. I'm like, I don't. I mean, I miss some of it, but uh, I'm good. I don't. I wouldn't want to still do it. I'm. It's 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 rough, man. Like uh, my body, it's gone. Like I don't. I. I'm not I'm not wheelchair bound or anything like that. I'm now I'm I think I'm gonna start reversing uh, a lot of the damage that I did over here. So yeah. I'm hoping um I'm hoping you know I'll start noticing a dramatic difference in the next six months or so where uh, I'm starting to feel a lot better because I mean my knee a doctor just flat out came back with the results saying you're a, compl- a full blown candidate for a full knee replacement. I was like yeah, I'm 36 years old. I'm not getting that. That doesn't sound like a good idea. So uh, wow. We'll, uh, we'll try to figure this one out. That's intense, man. You know, uh, uh, before we go here, you know, something I did want to ask you about that you brought up earlier was you mentioned you were having stem cells, uh, stem cell work done on your knee there. 
what what was the thought process going into that? What are the pros and cons of stem cell research? It's kind of you know it's a controversial subject. Well, I haven't tried it yet. When I sent over my MRI to this particular doctor in Pennsylvania that handles stem cells and PRP, and um, because again, I knew I was in a position where it, my knee was pretty shot, so it's like, what are my options here? Obviously, a knee replacement and just be done with it, or uh, is there a different solution? Because I mean, I have no cartilage, like no meniscus, a partially torn ACL, like yeah, a strained MCL. Like my knee is, they said there's ganglion cysts in my knee too. I didn't even know that was a thing. Anyways, so I sent over the result, my MRI, and then he, he sent me back a laundry list of everything that's wrong with my knee and then what would help what and what won't help anything. And then he broke down stem cells would help this. Stem cells could regenerate cartilage. Uh, which would reverse the osteoarthritis, um, whatchamacallit, it could help this, could help this, PRP could help this, this, and this. Uh, you also have this, this, and this wrong with your knee, which neither of these would help. Our final uh, final conclusion, we feel that you would be a great candidate for uh, stem cells with PRP treatment. Um, we think that would um, alleviate, like, the majority of your problems, and you would, should, know it, should um, notice a difference. I mean, worst case scenario is it doesn't work, and I just basically lost a couple of thousand dollars. But the the juice is worth the squeeze in this scenario because the alternative is just getting a damn knee replacement. So I'd rather roll the dice on a couple of grand, see what happens in the next six months, a year, see how I feel, uh, drop some weight, obviously. I want to drop like at least another 25, 30 pounds, and uh, then uh, I want to see where I go from there. Because so I'm going to, I haven't started it yet. I, I want to do that maybe before the end of the year, next couple of months, maybe even sooner, start, start the procedure, and then we'll uh, go from there. I mean, the guys who are always getting it done, they're, they're ranting and raving about it. I know it's still a fairly new uh, procedure and stuff like that. But again, worst case scenario is I'm still in the same position I'm in now. All right, brother. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, uh, Cam, I want to thank you so much for the time. Thank you for making this finally happen here. Uh, you gave me, like, double the time. We uh that we had agreed to, but you you're like you know I pull the string and there it goes right you know uh, you gave me so much content I couldn't I couldn't look away. Um, nah, I talk forever. <laughs> I don't shut up. <laughs> um, what do you want to plug promote put over here before we wrap up the interview? Well, uh, obviously Russell Pro first and foremost, guys. Check out russellproonline.com for um, follow us on Facebook too at Russell Pro. Because uh, we have all of our events lined up, we I think we have still another like twelve events before the end of the year. Um, I opened up a Russell Pro Alaska page just to target those fans over there. If you want to follow it, even if you're over here in New York, New Jersey, or wherever, if you just want to see what I'm doing over in Alaska because it's freaking cool, and follow the Rus- Russell Pro Alaska page. And hell, if you want to take a vacation out to Alaska. I mean, December 7th would be a pretty goddamn good time. You get to see the Northern Lights, then you get to see Bret Hart in Alaska. It would be pretty cool. Ah, side story, actually. A guy from uh, Wyoming just hit me up that met me actually at the same – the national tapings, the same impact tapings you were at. Okay. He said – he showed me that he bought five tickets to the Alaska show, second row. Just off of that, was he in the VIP? Is it because you were fun to play bingo with? I don't – maybe. I, I <laughs> Actually, you know what? He might have – I'll send you the picture that he sent me. It might – he might have bit – he was. He actually was. It had to have been. I See? believe it was national, and I think it was the same one. You might recognize him. Yeah, he's coming to Alaska. He's bringing his whole family. See? He bought tickets to the show. I, I can't It was the bingo thing, dude. I'm telling you, I never forgot. I also, I'll never forget that that uh, meet and greet 
was the last time that I had seen a disposable <laughs> camera used. Do you remember that? There was like one couple that brought yeah. a, dis a disposable camera, like the click, click, click kind. You got to go take to the, the Walgreens. I 100% remember that. Oh, yes. Hold on a second. This is it. Hold on. Wait. If you bear with me, do you have your Facebook open right now? I can. I'm going to send you this picture. Is I think this is, yeah, we were just talking about the National Finger Guys. I sent you the picture that that's him. He's bringing his whole family to Alaska, which I think is cool. So, anyways, guys, follow my WrestlePro Alaska page on Facebook. Follow WrestlePro on Facebook. WrestleProOnline.com. We have a crap load of shows in New York, New Jersey, Alaska, um, and all this other fun stuff. Follow me on social media, Superstar KM on Instagram and on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, I got the photo. You remember I, him? I do remember this guy. Of course I do. Yeah. Dude, that's national, right? He's coming. To, yeah. This is coming. a V. This is definitely one of. This is definitely a VIP shot from the the bingo thing. Dude. You can, we need to we need to have a reunion. You need to get your ass out to Alaska so we can all get together. My guest at this time is a former WWE superstar and two-time WCW tag team champion. He stars in the new movie, The Church, an indie horror thriller from the t first-time director and writer, Dom Frank. It is now available on demand through your cable provider, all digital formats, and DVD. It is Big Vito LaGrasso. Vito, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you very much for having me, and it is a pleasure to be on Wrestling Inc. I greatly appreciate it. I hope everyone's having a great day today, and thank you for the interview. Yeah, no problem, Vito. Well, let's get to it here. You know, uh, The Church, a horror film. You know, how did you get cast in this movie? Well, I was originally cast for a movie called Apnea by producer Dom Frank, and uh, we uh, filmed this movie uh, about four years ago, five years ago. And then he came up with a sequel to it called The Church. So when I got cast for that, um, you know, it was a, an exciting move. I've done movies before. People look on my IMDb. I've been on TV for 25, almost 30 years. Yeah. And I've done a variety of things. So um, the horror movie came up. I thought it was a great part for me. And um, I got to be with a lot of great people. I know you have that on your stat sheet. It's... Uh, a whole host of the who's who and horror films. I'm sure you could rattle off some names. Now let's start off with Lisa Wilcox. And I know you have the other names of those uh, great people involved with the film. This way you can get in on the interview and I'm not hogging it up. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. We got Bill Mosley, Ashley C. Williams. And of course the, uh, the star that I was most interested in seeing you alongside on screen was a uh, Clint Howard, the younger brother of yeah. Ron, the younger brother of Ron Howard, who has been in like pretty much, Everything. I think he's in every movie that Ron has ever produced. He was in Armageddon, I know for sure. He was also in The Grinch That Stole Christmas. So, yeah, some pretty good company you got to keep here in this film. Yeah, not only that. I mean, that, that, poor, that poor kid, I mean, he was, the, he was the most handsome little boy you ever seen, and he turned out to be the ugliest son of a bitch walking on, uh, oh, come on, on God's green earth. Come on now. Jesus. Come on now. No, but that's why he's a horror film. But he is the king of horror films. You, you hit the nail on the head as, you know what? He portrayed his, his parts, and he has been in some great movies that I'm not a horror film guy, but the movies I've seen him in, he is aces across the board, along with the people you mentioned. And uh, I did my research on them, and they are phenomenal actors who've been in the horror industry for years. We're talking years. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think. I think Clint started a movie, and correct me if I'm wrong, I may be getting it wrong, but I think it's something like Space Clowns from Outer Space, or Scary Clowns from Outer Space or something like that. I saw this movie back in the day, and uh, I definitely see the, the influence here from Clint in the horror movie department. No, he definitely, and I, I think that's the name of the movie. I think I actually watched it. Yeah. So, good. I mean, you know, kudos to him for be having longevity in the acting business, you know, and it's not an easy... It's not an easy skit, and it's not easy to keep relevant. But if you find your niche in the movie business, hey, you got to stick with it. Now, have you always been a horror movie fan? Was this was this something you got excited about to be involved in a movie like this? I believe it or not, I'm a Steven Seagal guy. I'm a John Travolta guy. I know I'm a Patrick Swayze. You know, you know, I like the fight movies. You know, I, I enjoy the rock movies, um, Clint Eastwood movies. You know, anything that's got action, fighting, military, you know, detective movies. So when this came aboard, you know, he wanted me to do it. I don't think it was more or less, you know, hey, you want to be in a horror film? Hey, you want to do a movie? But after doing this movie and watching the effects and all the stuff that went into it, I became a fan of the horror movie. And then I just happened to watch it. think it was, um, you're, you're going to laugh at me. I never was a horror film guy guy and I'm not a zombie guy but I just watched Freddy against Jason oh. I thought it was one of the greatest fights and I said I want to be one of these guys because they never get killed they play good shit kicking <laughs> but I'm telling you they were awesome they were awesome is that so is that your dream is to like land that horror movie character that just is like unkillable because you're right Freddy versus Jason you know you can they're like Kenny from South Park you can throw them through a meat grinder they're always going to come out on the other side still alive yeah, I'm telling but you know it was great. They got stabbed, they got killed, they got kicked, they got their their mask never came off. They took a hell of a beating, right? And they kept getting up. I said, This reminds me of that guy, big Vito Lagrasso from Staten Island, New York, who used to wrestle. He got his ass kicked, but he kept getting up. I was amazing. And I mean I was I'm a lot more handsome than these guys. They're just a step below, but hey, that's what it reminded me of back in the day. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to give away the movie, but the end, I was always surprised we didn't get a Freddy versus Jason 2 because the finish of that movie, you know, there's a little a little literal wink and a nod that we could be getting a sequel to that down the line, you know? I think so, but uh, hey, anybody who wanted to go watch our movies, first check out The Church, then go check out you know, Freddie against Jason. I think that would be awesome. So you're a big imposing guy. You know, what was it like for you to transition out of pro wrestling into to acting and, and movies and things like that? Well, you know, I guess what helped me the most was that I was a professional wrestler. And in professional wrestling, sometimes you have to, you go with storylines and you read scripts. And sometimes, you, a lot of times you improvise to make the, the bullet points of what you're trying to get across. And I think that helped me tremendously because when I went on screen and for all the things had done, you know, it's like, it just comes natural to you. So, you know, for me to say, I've taken a thousand acting classes and I did all this stuff to prepare, like some other professionals actually do. Um, that wasn't the case in me because I guess I had on the job training and just transitioning from the wrestling screen to the movie screen. You know, when you look at my TV career, I mean, I've been on TV for almost 30 years. So you still have to act and do a certain way, whatever character you're playing, whatever you're portraying on TV, you have to be that person. So I think that's where, you know, wrestling helped me most is, you know, in my acting career, 
And then from there, you know, you know, the guys on the film, you know, they always critique and they give you some great advice. And, you know, if you don't listen to advice, you're never going to grow in an industry. And in wrestling, I was like a sponge. Anybody who ever used to take the time, like the Bret Hawks, the Bulldogs, you know, the Takers, the Ric Flairs, the Hogans, you know, when they took the time, Honky Tonk Man, you know, um, I, I could name a great, a great deal of guys who took an interest in me on me coming up. And if you don't take that, if you don't take the advice, you're never going to excel in anything. And with that, you know, we're getting to ready to do a sequel here. And, you know, I get bit parts all the time to do, you know, commercials and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, is there anything you've learned in your time in acting, you know, post-ring that you were like, man, I wish I'd have known this back when I was an in-ring performer. I think it would have just given me a little bit more oomph having this knowledge now. You, the best thing I could say about it is that you, you're walking into the unknown. And if you're pretty, if you know how to improvise and adapt, and you know how to, you know, go with the flow. If you have confidence, you know, if I would have knew about the movie career and what it would take, you know, and, you know, to get your SAG card, you had to know somebody to see, and you had to have $1,500 to get a SAG card. Today's not as much the SAG card. It's just about getting your in, your foot in the door with a, uh, a producer who's got films to, to film. And I think that if I would have started my, you know, my film career a lot earlier, I think I would have been, I'd be a lot more successful and have more credits under my belt. So hmm. I guess it's maybe starting late, if you can understand my my psychology on that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and with that, you bring up, you know, your SAG card there. You know, um, do you do you feel like that wrestlers should have, like, a, a lot of the same benefits that you get now as a, as a SAG actor? Yeah, you know what it is? The business, the wrestling business has changed so much, and it's more entertainment. You see more and more wrestlers, you know, you know, trying to get into the movie business, trying to do the action films, trying to get big parts. And it only helps you prepare for your future. And I think with the way the industry is today, the way it's set up, they always say wrestling's not going to last forever which back in my day, you know, you were going to wrestle up to your hundred, you know, as long as you can get up, lace your boots and you go and you keep in shape. But it has evolved so much that the entertainment business, as they quoted today, the entertainment business has evolved to where now it includes movies, commercials, and doing other aspects in the industry, which help you prepare for life after wrestling, which yeah. I think is a great thing. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and, you know, what improvements, I guess, would you make, to the model that WWE has right now to prepare those talents for an eventual move away from pro wrestling? Well, I think if it's the WWE or AEW Both, yeah. or Ring of Honor or any of the other organizations, Impact or whatever, you know, my advice to the guys is throw your eggs in one basket. You know, look to venture out while you're doing your wrestling career because everybody gets so caught up in their wrestling that they forget about part two and three. Yeah. Well, now I would suggest everybody start to look at part two and three and see what you can get outside the business to help enhance your growth as not only as an entrepreneur, but as a human being and a businessman, because I think that's important. 
Yeah, well, you've obviously had, you know, like you said, you've, you've been on TV over 30 years now. I mean, and of course, you know, a lot of people remember you from WWE. Of course, you were in WCW and ECW as well. But, you know, I'll ask you, you know, what was it like being in that creative environment with a Vince McMahon in that WWE creative team for you? Well, a lot of people don't remember, but I started out in the WWF in 1991 as Skull Von Crush. It's true. Mm-hmm. Doing the German. So, I mean, starting off there and, you know, having your first match against the Rockers, and then uh, Bret Hart and the Bulldog and the Boss Man and guys like that. And you're working along the stars and they're teaching you, okay? And being, you know, in that environment, you say, okay, I'm here, but I'm not here. And then working through the ranks through the years where I went, you know, everybody's dream, you know, back then was you could work for the WWF, you go to Puerto Rico, you go to Japan, you get your Ribera jacket, <laughs> you come back. No, it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's the truth. It's that true. was the sequence. Yeah. And then to um and then to uh go into then go on to other things like go to the territories because the territories were there in the nineties. And that's when they had WCW Santa Domingo with Jack Veneno. You had um you had uh WWC with Carlos Colon. You had All Stars with uh Hugo Savanovich. You had um uh, IWA with Victor Quinones and Savio Vega. You um, then you went back to Japan. You wrestled for All Japan or New Japan. I happened to go wrestle for Kendo Nagasaki in 1992 yeah. in the first ever for the NOW. And who was on the tour? But the Harlem Heat, Manny Fernandez, Alex Porto, Skullbound Crush. You know, so you're talking like you know a great group of guys who went on to, you know, have careers in the wrestling business. And then when I came back from Japan, you know, I made my way to ECW, you know, and I wrestled for Paul Heyman, you know, and I did, that's when I changed to Vito the Skull Lagrasso. And then we got, uh, I went on a singles tear and then I hooked up with the Baldies. From there was the WCW where I tagged with Johnny the Bull and we became um, the Mama Lukes and we became tag team champions and then they needed hardcore guys, and I wound up wrestling Terry Funk for the hardcore title on Nitro, and I became hardcore champion. And then after that, if guys, uh, the guys remember, we had uh, Hulk Hogan's group um, with Jimmy Hart, which was uh, what was the name of the group? The, after the, that, oh, you XWF. XWF, XWF, yeah. XWF with Hulk Hogan and the guys. They went down to Australia, on, right? Something like that. They did the Australia show, right? Uh, no. They XWF was done out of, out of. Remember, XWF was Hulk Hogan's group with Jimmy Hart, okay, uh, Griff Valentine, and Roddy Piper, okay, and that was done out of Orlando, okay. and that was the group where we had Lawler, we had Roddy Piper, we had Hogan, we had Perfect, you know, and um, Jimmy Hart, the Nasty Boys. That was the thing when we were doing infomercials, and we drew 15000 8000 and 5000 on the weekend. The next two weeks, Vince signed Jerry Lawler, brought back Piper, signed Hogan, signed Perfect, no one to company down the tubes. So I wanted to go back overseas, and then I went overseas to wrestle for um, uh, uh, Rikishi's group, and then I... And EW, and then I went over to Impact, where I wrestled there, and we formed the NYC with myself, Glenn Gilberti, Johnny Swinger, and uh, 
Trinity. Yeah. And we had, we had a good run there. And then that from there, I got my deal with um, the WWE. I went to tryouts, you know, and like on Anderson was the first one. I said, where the hell you been? We've been waiting for you here. I said, well, you know, sometimes you're just doing other things. I'm here now. And then I wound up tagging with Nunzio. And I had the anniversary of my debut on the WWE, August 2nd, when Nunzio won the Cruiserweight title. And then, you know, I did a lot of great things with Nunzio. And then they did the dress gimmick. The dress was awesome. I enjoyed that for no, wait, a year. No, time out, time out. I was going to ask yeah. you. Now, you, you talk about your career, and I did. I did some research into you, and I was like, wow, this man has worked everywhere. You know, a lot of people work their whole careers to go to Japan. You seem to have been fortunate to be able to start part of your career in Japan. How do you get to this right. point? How do you get to this point now where you're wearing – how does you wearing a dress, how does that even come up as a gimmick for you at that point in your career? Well, you know, the funny thing is, you know, like, I'm not going to sit here and say to everybody, well, you know, when you're a great worker, when you are a good worker and you know how are a great wrestler, okay, wrestler, I'll use the word wrestler, and I was, I was polished, I had the experience, and I had the know-how, and you know, when everybody, I'll put, I'll put, I'll put, maybe people can understand this. When Dusty Rhodes got the common man and put him in polka dots, they said it was a rib. So they put Vito in a dress. Some say it was a rib. But Dusty Rhodes made that the best gimmick ever. And I made the dress one of the best dress gimmicks, if not the dress gimmick ever, to portray in the WWE. I made it work, just what? like Dusty made the common man work. How did how did the W how did Vince and the creative team pitch the dress thing to you in a way that I mean, even if it was, you know, tongue in cheek, like why would they what was their explanation for you deciding to, to wear a dress? Well, the thing was is that it was Stephanie and Vince that came up to me after a uh, TV taping. They said we have an idea for you. Okay. So what would you think about wearing a dress? Okay. I says, if that's what you want me to do, I says, I do it. And they says, You think you could pull it off and wear it every day? I says, Yeah. So it was probably one of the last kayfabe gimmicks that ever was done in the WWE. I wore it. I went out and then I traveled in it. <laughs> I became the most recognizable pro athlete in sports. Everywhere I went, everybody knew who I was wearing the dress. I was very popular. I got to pose and play girl. I did a lot of great things with it. I got to do a lot of uh, uh TV openings. I did charity events. I did a lot of um, of talks. And you know what? That that gimmick, you know, was ahead of its time because it got to help a lot of people because they stood for a lot of things. People who couldn't defend themselves, or people who were trying to live their lives in that kind of lifestyle, or women who were battered and they used to look at me and talk to me. I can't tell you the people I met on the plane and they would bare their souls because here I am, this tough guy a good-looking guy wearing a dress and doing my thing. And I would say, I said, well, and they said, why are you doing this? I says, I like, I like to wear dresses. I said, it's just me. I, I says, I love women. I'm not any other way. I says, and um, I'm just doing this. And guys used to tell me, strangers, man, I wish I could, I wish I had the courage like you because I know if I did that in my garden or I did that in my neighborhood, I would get beat up. <laughs> I said, you used to, you know, and I used to tell them, I said, you need to be who you want to be. I said, who cares what people think? But live your life. And women used to talk about, I'm proud that you do this. I said, why, ma'am? 
They said, because women, women take abuse. And when you get abused and you get beat up by people who are, you know, um, stronger than you, or they don't like your persona, or they don't like who you are, or they think they could, they could berate you. And, you know, that had, that goes a lot. That went a long way. It was a soul searching thing. And it taught me a lot about life in general. And, you learn about yourself as a man. You learn yourself about as a human being. And uh, I wouldn't change it for a world. And I wish it would have lasted a couple more years because I think I could have did some great things. But probably the most discouraging thing of the gimmick was when I was supposed to have the championship match with uh, Booker T when he was King Booker. And they substituted me for Undertaker. And nobody can understand it because I had so much, so much going for me. I was undefeated. Booker was going, having his strong run. And if we would have meshed and knocked heads, would it have been worthy to have a man wearing a dress as the heavyweight champion of WWE? It's a great question. Uh, wow. Thank you for that. That was uh, very insightful. You know, and I, I hear what you're saying. I hear how you took something that, you know, a lot of people would have maybe scoffed at and ran with it. You know, obviously, John Moxley did that big interview with Jericho and everything where he talked about his creative frustrations. You know, he's not the only one. There's other talents right now that seem to be creatively frustrated with their spots in WWE. You know, what would be your advice to them right now? What's your take on their frustrations? You know, today I watch the products, okay? And I have to turn it off because it's unwatchable. The only believable guy I get a kick out of watching is Brock Lesnar because he's believable. This does not go to say to insult anybody there at the WWE, any of the talent. You're all working hard. You're all doing your thing. You're all are handcuffed because you can't go out there and be who you want to be. But when you have that time, what they're doing to everybody is they're creating, there are no A players. And what I mean is there's no major, major superstars out there. If you had to say Brock Lesnar is your top star, okay? After that, you have the B class or the B plus class where everybody meshes together and guys who could have gotten a championship run or should have gotten pushes, they're all pushed into this, you know, this, this level, this second tier level that they all mesh. They get two wins. They get three losses. They get a win. They get two, two losses and nothing follows sync, you know, and they don't have any guys who can, who can, know the secret they'll say oh you got to go for the brass ring oh you got to do this you got to do that right now they're not making those guys they're not pushing those guys to that limit or letting them excel to that potential you know an interesting guy who, who made a run okay jinder mahal that would make a perfect example yeah they put the title on him and as now he didn't know how to be a world champion he learned on the job how to be a world champion. And the thing that bothered me with him, he was a big, muscular foreigner, and I played a foreign gimmick, And they, and, but he had the two guys doing his dirty work. At the end of his run, he started to be an ass kicker, and his promos got to be great. And then they cut him off, and you've never seen, the, you've never seen him again. He's the, he, they buried him. You know, Kevin Owens, right? Kevin Owens, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. As, a, as part of a group, when, when he did his thing with Jericho, it's phenomenal. When he did his thing with New Day, even though it was that little, I thought it was the greatest thing. When, he's, when he was doing his thing with Sami Zayn, that wasn't, that wasn't bad. Yeah. You know, putting him as a single, they didn't use him to his potential. 
And now they're starting to make him do this um, CM Punk thing where, you know, he's speaking his mind and driving the pop bombs. Hey, it's going to work, I hope. You know, he's using the stunner. But, you know, once they get tired of it, that's when they're going to bury it again. That's what you're afraid of. You have um, AJ Styles that just put, reunited the Bullet Club. You have Gallows and Anderson there they, that these guys were top guys in Japan. And they made these guys a, co- a comedy routine. And these guys are ass kickers. They just put them together. They just put the straps on. They put AJ together with them. That's a group. AJ Styles together. AJ Styles is a great wrestler, but he needs to be in a group to have that ultra push. And certain guys need partners. I, Peter Lograsso, did great with wingmen. You know, when I had Johnny the Ball and I had Nunzio yeah. and I had the guys and I had the Baldies, you know, I had wingmen, and that made it even better. Doing a singles thing, I mean, I had something special with the dress, but that was unique. But then you don't want to fall into just being a wrestler. you got to have something unique. you got to bring something. If the guys would have creativity when they're in the ring, talk to themselves, talk to your hand, you know, talk to the rope. You know, do something great or different. Go off script because once you do it, it's then they're going to say, why you do? Why did you do that? He said, because I felt it was, in, I needed to do it to get over with the crowd. And that's your answer. Yeah. You've got to go with what you feel in the ring. You got can't be afraid. If you're afraid to excel in the ring, that's what holds you back. And that's what holds a lot of guys back. Look at Braun Strowman. He's the biggest man there. He's turning over trucks and buses and ambulances. And you mean to tell me this guy isn't a world champion? Not once, Right because they don't put him that, and they got him in these comedy things, and that ruined him. It ruined him. Roman Reigns, they tried to shove down the throat and shove down the throat as a baby, but the guy's a heel. People don't like him. Just turn him heel. John Cena, right, for all the years. I hope when he makes his return, I hope maybe one day he will. You know, you say, you know, what could, what could get him over, and you have the new NWO, you have, you know, you have The Rock, coming in, you have Brock Lesnar coming in, and then you have Cena as the top heel. Would that be a faction in itself? Do you know what I mean? Would that be something to watch? Cena being a heel because everybody wanted every that would increase his uh his value. Hogan did it, he finally turned heel, and that gave Hogan an extra three, four years on his career that he would never have had before he went back to Hogan. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to piece together a couple things you just brought up there. First of all, uh, I thought the Jinder Mahal stuff was was very interesting, and you talk about where he's been. Uh, Jinder Mahal went from being a world champion. Now he's in like WWE's 24/7 championship division. I think he may have held the title two or three times at this point. Um, you were, of course. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you there. Yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna say this, and I said it on my podcast. The 24/7 title is the worst thing that got going. Do you know why? Because they make all those professional guys, all these wrestlers, chase after a title and make them look ridiculous. They make them look like boys. They're professional wrestlers. You don't go chasing around people as a comedy routine to get a title. What they should have did was have a TV title, bring it back with prestige, and have the, have the guy go from, from, the, um, from Raw to SmackDown to NXT He's got three matches a week and for three and for three straight days, three days of TV, wherever they're on, you're going to watch that match because you want to see who's going to be the next TV champion. And that would have been more prominent than this 24-7 
the 24-7 was a hardcore thing with no hardcore. Now you got guys pinning guys in limousines and women and guys. It's funny, but it doesn't mean anything. It's irrelevant. It's not a major title. It's just something to put a bunch of guys in to give them something to do during TV. And that's exactly what it is, guys. Well, I guess I'll wrap it up here by asking, you know, as far as pro wrestling goes, you know, kind of in the moment here, you know, what kind of an effect do you think having an AEW in the room, uh, what kind of an effect, I guess, do you hope that having AEW in the room will have uh, on the pro wrestling business? AEW has got its own unique concept. They have guys who haven't had major TV experience uh, exposure. They have indie exposure. The names that they have that are on top that the people will watch. Okay, like the John Moxley. You got Jericho. You have the Rhodes Brothers. You have the Young Bucks. Okay. You have Omega. That's well known from Japan. And you have a good nucleus of unseen talent that the people are going to like. So you have enough star power. Now, the rumor mill says CM Punk is going to sign and he might show up in Chicago. You know, I hope he does because they're already talking about how will Vince counter the AEW? They're worried. So what is Vince going to do? He's going to put a Wednesday night special on to, to go to go um, head to head with AEW. If you didn't care, why would you have rumors that you're going to do it? So they're scared. Their attendance is down. Their viewership is down because you saw the the the, uh, the raw raw review the raw reunion show. Yeah, and it drew it drew. And then where did it go? Went right back down to under 2 million people. Their house shows are dragging. They're not doing stuff. They're oversaturating the business with all the pay-per-views a month because they don't have a chance to build storylines. They're not building enough guys. So what do you do with it? You know, there has to be an alternative. The AEW is an alternative. Now, will they be a more risque? Yes. Are they going to be uh, some blood, some guts, some other things? Absolutely. Their concept of their business plan of giving uh, wrestlers uh, a salary and medical benefits and doing that, I think is phenomenal for the industry, you know. But I think that if they're given that they've got a great time slot on TNT, right now they're not going against NBA basketball, they're not going against baseball, they're going against themselves. Now, this happens to shoot, you know, a, a, a special on that day, you know. He's trying to monopolize the business and, you know, have a monopoly. And you can't do that because that's why the business is suffering because it isn't an, uh, an alternative. you got to let the alternative and let the people come back to your product because they like your product, not because they're forced to watch your product. There it is. Uh, Big Vito, Vito LaGrasso, available, uh, or stars in the new movie, The Church, which is available now on demand through cable provider, all digital formats, and DVD. Vito, uh, what else do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview today? All right. This fall, we have the Big Vito brand unboxing the Universal Food Fight. It's on Twitch TV, the what? Big Vito brand. What? That's it. Yep. What's we, the... are gonna, we are going to taste food from around the world. Okay. And we're going to give you our honest opinion, just like around, about like going around Disney. Yeah. When we do our uh, Disney trips. And we're going to do all this, and it's going to be a new concept we, we came up with. Plus, we have our show going coming on the Realm Network. But if you guys want to see Twitch TV, go to the Big Beetle brand. Check us out, the Big Beetle brand on, on Twitter, the Big Beetle brand on Facebook. You know, 
And, um, you know, the big, go to big, the big Vito brand.com guys, you're going to find a lot of great stuff. You know, we've been off a little bit, you know, because we've had, uh, I'll give you the true scam. I'll give you the true story, guys. My wife's Mac broke. Okay. We don't know how it broke. We had it in the shop. Yeah. They said they were going to fix it. It cost us, it was supposed to cost one price. They wanted to charge us nine times the amount. Yeah. I said, I could buy a new computer for all this money. So then they wound up, they wound up taking care of us. We got the computer back. We've been working on some other things. And, uh, here we are, ready to go back to work and go back to business. So everything is good in the Big Beetle neighborhood. Thank you all very much for tuning in to our final Winkly of the Week here on Thursday. Uh, it was a blast talking to you about the news of the day at the top of the show, Justin. I want to thank KM and Big Vito for coming on. I really enjoyed both those interviews. Uh, I have uh, We have a lot of interviews still in the can to roll out here, uh, not just interviews that I did, but also our good friend Scott Fishman has some great interviews that I've got ready to roll out. And our good friend Andy Malnoski was recently at the gathering, I believe, in North Carolina, which was not the, ga- not the gathering of the Juggalos, different gathering, different gathering. Uh, a lot of names there, uh, too, but we got some interviews from him that we're going to roll out over the next couple weeks as well. If you're going to be around the site this weekend, Sunday night, Ring of Honor prevents, presents Honor for All. <clears throat> the show features the Rock and Roll Express battling the Briscoes for the ROH World Tag Team Championships. We'll have coverage for it here. 2019, Rock and Roll Express Briscoes, Justin. What a time to be alive. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and also, uh, I'll start teasing this now. I'm going to regularly tease this next week. Uh, I've been, like, working behind the scenes with Conrad. Here, I'll tell you exactly what happened. So, I came to Conrad. Actually, first, I went to Paul. You know Paul Walter Hauser from Co- Cobra Kai? He's, uh, he's also from Black Klansman and... and uh, uh, I, Tanya, right? So I befriended him. We've had him on the show here. Big actor. It's been announced he's going to be... Well, here's what happened. So I went to Paul, and I said, Paul, hey, I got this idea. I'd love to do a late-night improv-style show at StarCast. Uh, would you be down if Conrad is open to it? And Paul was like, absolutely. Let's do this thing. Paul and I both have an improv background. We thought this would be a lot of fun. So I go to Conrad. I say, Conrad, Paul and I want to do this. It's going to be called House Show. And Conrad's like, oh, my God, that sounds great. He gave us the Friday late-night slot. We're getting the thing going. Paul then gets cast as a lead character in Disney's live-action 101 Dalmatians movie. Justin, a, leg- a huge deal, right? And so he then has to, to unfortunately pull out of the show because he has to go to London when StarCast is. So then Conrad says, well, Taylor Williamson, America's Got Talents, Taylor Williamson, will also be coming out and wants to do a show. Maybe you guys can work together. So Taylor and I... Also, friends, we got together, we, we've been brainstorming here, and we finally got a show put together here that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Uh, the f- official title is Taylor Williamson's StarCast Talk Show. Now, the unofficial title is, Star- is Taylor Williams' StarCast Late Night Talk Show Experience and Hoot Nanny. But Conrad made sure that we could have to limit it to five words because he said ours was, was too long. So the show will be hosted. I'm going to do a little warm-up act. Taylor's going to get behind a desk and have a couch. Taylor's going to interview famous wrestlers throughout the show and then kick them to me in a group of improvisers where we'll play like whose line is anyway type short form games with these wrestlers and then at the end of the night our good friend ross berman is going to play a song maybe a couple songs pro wrestling themed folk songs and when that's over i'm going to pull everybody who wants to in the room up on stage to do some uh, more short form improv games we'll do an all skate improv jam until they kick us out of the building and so that's what's going on it's friday 10 to 11 30 midnight ish uh at starcast uh, next friday night that's not wild justin uh, i'll be very interested to see what wrestlers you get to improv i am also well we have we have some we have 
we almost have it laid out. I can tell you that they are people that you will know and that you would really enjoy seeing in that space. So I hope you come on out. If you're going to be there uh, at StarCast on Friday night, please join us for uh, Taylor Williamson's StarCast talk show. Uh, all right, Justin, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up? Uh, follow me on social media. And like I said, uh, at the top of the show, t- uh, Thursday night, go to TribLive.com. But it's also easy if you just follow me because I'll put a link out there and I'll post a Q&A uh, with Cody Rhodes. There you go. And uh, I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in this week. You're all wonderful. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.